Uh, we're in the middle of a three-week series um, on the prodigal son. If you're just joining uh, Prairie Hill for the first time in person or online, I want to especially um, welcome you and thank you for your presence and your participation. This is part of a bigger journey. We're actually on a journey all through the Gospel of Luke. We're a little over halfway done. Uh, We started about a year and a half ago with the goal in mind to really learn and internalize what is this kingdom of God about that we're living in. And um, so we have been taking it in slowly and gradually and with the goal of being conformed bit by bit to the image of Christ and to what it means to live in his kingdom. And we've made it to Luke 15, where, is where, where we find the famous parable of the prodigal son. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you or on your phone, uh, you may find it helpful to pull up Luke 15. Um, we're not going to read the whole chapter today. We're going to just be in the middle part. Last Sunday, when we began the study of this parable that we know as the prodigal son or the wasteful son, we noted that um, the interesting thing, one interesting thing, is that the wasteful son isn't really even the main character in the parable. And neither is the father who receives him home. And really, they get most of the attention, right? Or all of the attention, most of the time. It's, it's such a beautiful picture that that's where we focus. The main character, the one that we really have to understand, is the older brother who exhibits this really bad attitude when he sees what's going on. Because he's the one who mirrors the attitude of the religious leaders of Israel. And they're grumbling when they see the sinners gathering around Jesus. He's, he's the one that's a mirror to show the religious people that they're not quite as godly as they think they are. So that's who our focus will be on next Sunday. The older brother. Today we're talking about the younger son. The prodigal son. We talked about the compassion and the extravagance of the father last Sunday. Today we're going to talk about the repentance of the younger son. So if you're, if you're looking to get a handle on what is this sermon going to be about, looking to latch onto one big idea, that's the idea today, the idea of repentance. This is one of the clearest pictures that we have in the Bible of what repentance is and what repentance looks like. And so we're going to learn what we can from the younger son with the goal of putting it into practice in our own lives. Now, one thing that we have to talk about right away, one preliminary question is, who is this sermon for? Some of you may have checked out already because you've heard, oh, we're talking about repentance. That's something that I did a long time ago. Yeah, I did that in fourth grade. I repented and believed the Lord. Repentance is for everyone. We, we all need this. We ought not think of repentance as something like getting your ears pierced. Something that you just do once or maybe rarely on a subsequent occasion. Repentance is much more like breathing. Something that we do many times over and over again. 
It, we would uh, do well as Christians to think of it like this, as we think about the role of repentance in our lives. Yes, there is a, a one-time repentance that leads to justification or a right standing with God. That's something that you may have done long ago. There's a, a one-time repentance that leads to justification. There is also a, a many times repentance that leads to sanctification. Growth in Christ-likeness. That's the Christian life. A one-time major repentance leading to justification, being in a right standing with God, and a many times, again and again and again, repentance that leads to sanctification. So we all need this, whether we are following Christ or not following Christ. But what is it? What does it look like? Do we have wrong notions of what repentance is and what it looks like? We're, we're here to be corrected if we have wrong notions and to learn what's true so we can put it into practice, okay? So let's get started. Let's read the text first about this younger son, and then we'll talk about four things we can say about true repentance based on what we find here, all right? So we'll be in Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 24. Um, If you're able to stand today, I want to invite you to stand in honor of God and his word. And this is what we find. Jesus, of course, is telling the parable, and he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Heavenly Father, we know that this is our story, every single one of us. We have all taken advantage of your kindness. We have all sought out a life apart from you, both in big ways and in small ways. We have believed lies 
and we have suffered the consequences. Thank you that your kindness on one side of our insanity is matched by your graciousness on the other side. This father celebrated his son, and today we celebrate you in all of your graciousness and kindness. We pray that you would teach us about repentance. We pray that more and more we could come to view it as a beautiful thing. Something that's hard, yes, but is the the great and beautiful work of the Christian life. I pray that strongholds and habitual sin would be broken down today in Jesus' name. I pray we would be led in that direction by the great love that we see in you, pictured in this Father. So we pray for that kind of help. We expect that kind of help because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Please be seated. We're giving special attention to the idea of repentance today. We're going to notice four things about the nature of true repentance. The first thing that we want to notice is that repentance admits the reality of sin. Repentance is willing to admit the reality of sin. We notice that the younger son uses the word sin. Verse 18, Father, I have sinned. He admits that there is such a thing as sin. That is, that there is such, um, such a thing as actions, behaviors, words, thoughts that violate the will of God, that are expressly against and opposite of the character of God. Repentance never happens if sin is not admitted as a reality. Are you willing to admit the reality of sin? The human temptation is to want to empty the category of sin. This is true whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. That is, we're perfectly willing to say that, yes, sin exists, but we reserve it for only the the worst things that we can think of. And we draw the line of sin in a convenient place to allow us to do the things that we really want to do and slide those things from the category of sin off into the category of okay and leave just this other category of sin which belongs to other people doing really bad things. That's probably where the disagreement would come in between me and you, potentially, even in a room full of Christians. Is I'd be willing to get buy-in from pretty much everyone that, yeah, sin exists, but we would disagree over where to draw the line because of the temptation to empty that category of sin. We may have this notion that God is love means that God is more or less okay with what we want to do, that his love just kind of covers it, right? You've read the Bible. You know the Bible says God is love. But what has happened potentially in your mind is that you have thought God is love means that God's love pretty much covers everything that we want to do. 
we, we can begin to equate God's love with permission. That, that that's what it means that God is love. That he gives us permission to go and do and be what we want to do and what we want to be. So we think God is love. That means permission to be myself, do what I want to do, and that if sin exists, it's a very small category reserved for the really the worst things. Maybe that's happened in your life. Maybe you used to have certain things in the category of sin and you've slid them over and it's, you don't think it's sin anymore. And actually, maybe that's been a good thing. Maybe that's not been a good thing. But have you started to think that God is love means God's permission? There is a problem with that kind of thinking. The biggest problem is that that's not how the Bible presents the love of God. In the scriptures, the love of God is not demonstrated by permission. It's demonstrated by substitution. That the Father sent Jesus to step into our place and die in our place for our sins, right? That's Romans 5, 8. But God, demonstra- God demonstrates his love for us in this, that he lets us do whatever we want now. No, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God's love is demonstrated by substitution, not by permission. You know, I think we would all like a few more things to be permissible. That's what we would probably all like. But what we really need is a substitute. And that's the love of God. Not that he becomes okay with a few more things, but that he's willing to step into our place and die for our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that that is a higher, better love, that substitutionary love of God. We know it from observing parents. Which parent is more loving? Which parent represents true love? The one with whom everything is fine? Everything is permissible? They let you get away with whatever? Or the parent who is willing to live in a sacrificial way and give up their own hopes, dreams, desires for the benefit of their family? Which parent demonstrates a greater, more noble love? Of course, it's the parent who lives in a sacrificial way, not the permissible, permissive parent. That's what the love of God is like. Repentance begins with the cold, hard reality that sin exists, God gets to define its parameters, and I don't do God or myself or anyone else any favors when I empty the category of sin. All that does, if we just empty the category of sin and make more and more things okay, even in contradiction to God's word, all that does is is it pushes Repentance and reconciliation and joy into the future, even further. So that's the first thing that we see is that repentance is willing to admit the reality of sin. So I want to ask you what thoughts, behaviors, 
actions do you need to bring back into the category of sin? It could be that you need to have a moment of clarity and a moment of humility and do that, do that thing. Second thing we see is that repentance confesses personal sin. So first of all, Repentance admits that sin exists, sin is a reality. Second thing we see, right, we're learning about what repentance looks like. Sin exists. Secondly, it confesses personal sin. I have sinned. Verse 18, Father, I have sinned. Repentance not only admits the reality of sin, it admits the reality of sin in me. The moment that you um, own your sin personally before God is um, probably both your hardest moment and your best moment. Getting to the point where you're willing to say, Father, I have sinned. How does a person get to that moment? How does that happen where they're willing to do that? Well, for the prodigal son, just think about his journey. For the prodigal son, him getting to that moment is, um, it's pictured as a kind of waking up. It's pictured as a kind of sobering up. We see in verse 17, this language, look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, so his, his sinful recklessness, that lifestyle that he had been living, is pictured as a kind of temporary insanity. This implies that there was a time where he was not himself. And then there came a day when he came to himself. So what that means is that in the parable of the prodigal son, before the son ever returns to the father, he returns to himself. There's this kind of personal homecoming first whereby he comes to himself. What happened to him? What, what brought about this moment of sober reflection and return to his senses? Well, apparently it was all brought on by some stark physical realities coming home to him. You know, he had, he had gone out seeking all this pleasure for the body, Right? We learned that from the older son, this younger son of yours who squandered all your money with, um, with prostitutes. He'd gone out seeking all this pleasure for the body and now he's languishing in his body. I perish here with hunger, right? His body is hurting. When our, when our body hurts, that has a way of waking us up. It's not feeling pleasure anymore, it's feeling pain there's this great emptiness that's come to his life. He's empty on the inside. There's a great spiritual reality in there too. He's physically empty. He's hungry. But when we're far down the road of sin, this great spiritual emptiness occupies our heart. Also notice that his tastes had changed. 
That's verse 16. He was, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And I just, I just wonder if when he sobered up on this day, he just looked at himself and was appalled at who he had become, at the, the way that his tastes had degenerated and what he was longing for. He had gone off away from home to feed his most base desires over and over and over and live like an animal. And he had become like an animal. And I just wonder if when he sobered up, he, he was alarmed and appalled at what he wanted and what he thought was good. Can you identify with that? Have you become appalled or alarmed at what you want to feed yourself with? It's a really accurate picture of what sin does to us. It it holds out freedom and it holds out fun and then it makes us a slave. This boy ends up as a slave. It's not what he went out seeking, but that's what he got. So he gets to this really, really low point trapped at the bottom with all of these base desires. And he hits rock bottom. And when he hits rock bottom, he does the absolute best thing. He owns his sin. Such a simple phrase. Father, I have sinned. I know that not everyone listening is at this like rock bottom point, okay? I've kind of spent the last few minutes addressing someone who might be at rock bottom. Some of you are, some of us, some of you, whoever's listening, are kind of at a, a different point. Like you're at the embarkation point. Like you're packing up your stuff. You're getting ready to go like pursue life apart from God. Or maybe, maybe you're still in the Fun period where everything is great, no real consequences yet. Just loving life, loving the freedom, being apart from God, from church, from family, from restrictions, whatever. And you haven't begun to to feel the consequences of that yet. Just so much fun, so heady, like I'm in control, I'm doing stuff, I'm, I'm keeping secrets, like no one's finding out about this. So if that's you, let me, let me just address you for a second, okay? You're packing up your stuff, dabbling in porn, planning an affair, planning stuff that you know is wrong but you think is justifiable, feeling really in control of your situation, planning on a lot of fun, life is gonna be good. I just wanna point something out to you that we see here in verse 14. Something happened. 
Well, he was out there living the life, and shortly after his money had run out, something happened that he could not have accounted for. All of a sudden, there was a severe famine. He hadn't accounted for that. He's not in control of that. When he went off from home and squandered all his money, he didn't know that was coming. See, you think you're in control. You're planning like you're in control. And this is all going to go like you think you want it to go. And that no one can stop you now. On the basis of this text, I want to point out to you, God can humble you. There came a day in this boy's life where something happened, something changed that he hadn't counted on and was completely out of his control. You're not in control. There are no secrets. And God is able to humble you and pray to God that he will humble you. Like, that's a good thing. That's, that's the first step on the road home for this boy. Just don't carry around the misconception that you're master of your own fate and nothing can stop you now. You don't know what's coming. You don't know when the famine is going to come. Repentance admits the reality of sin. Repentance confesses personal sin. It's willing to say, I have sinned. Third thing we see is that repentance turns its back on sin. That's verse 20. There actually came a day where the boy rose up and he left the far country and he went home. He left. There was action. See, repentance is much more than just being sorry for our sin. Repentance is not equivalent to sorrow. He actually left. He turned his back on sin and went the other way. And that's the technical picture of repentance, is turning the other way, walking towards something new. try to make this really simple and practical, right? To state the obvious, first of all, is there a sin that you need to leave, that you actually, a behavior, a habit, a thought, that you need to leave? That you need to turn your back on and go in a a new direction? That's a huge part of repentance. That's repentance proper, turning your back on sin, going in a new direction. But don't miss this second part, this companion activity to that, that the boy doesn't just leave sin, he actually journeys back on the road to his father. He, he goes in a definite direction. He doesn't just leave sin and wander around somewhere hoping not to sin again. See, that's one thing that we can do is just, okay, I'm gonna leave my sin. I'm just gonna kind of wander and hope I don't fall back into sin, right? That, that might be you. There's just something you wanna get out of your life, but you're not pointed at anything. You're just hoping 
Like you haven't replaced sin with anything. Are you on a definite journey toward the Father to build relationship with the Father? He pursues his Father. And so that's what I want to ask you. Does your plan to leave sin include the idea of building relationship with your Father? Let's bring this really, 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 really close to home in a, in a way that I, I hope is helpful for you. So many of our sins, the, especially the ones that have the deepest hold on us and are the most ingrained in our lives for years and years, so many of those kinds of sins come from uncertainty and doubt that we are really loved and that we are really worthy of love. When when those thoughts and those doubts are, are deep in our hearts, and I don't know that it's not present in everyone's heart to some extent, Like this great question in this void, am I really loved? And am I worthy of love? When we're struggling with those things, all kinds of sin results from that. All kinds of behaviors. And whether we realize it or not, when we're living out these sinful patterns and struggling in the depths of our heart with whether we're really loved, when we're sinning, we're really looking for love. We're looking for a love that won't leave us. A faithful love. And I just want to remind you, that's what we have in the Father. The Father really loves you, and the Father will never leave you. From a 30,000 foot view, this parable of the prodigal son really is simply leaving sin to embrace love. That's what happens. He leaves sin to go home and embrace love. And if that's you today, if, if that's where you're at, and that's the desire that's on your heart to leave sin, to begin to embrace love and let the love of the Father flood into your life and replace those desires, I just commission you to a little study. Just go to the book of Ephesians, New Testament, about halfway through, open up the book of Ephesians with a very simple question. Just go to the book and say, how much does God love me? And start reading and start writing and start filling your heart with the truth of who the Father is to you and how you're loved with this great love that will never leave you.
thinking about repentance, so it admits the reality of sin, it confesses personal sin, it turns its back on sin. So we're thinking, okay, if I'm really serious about putting this into my life, I I have to admit that sin exists, I have to admit that I have sinned, I have to actually turn my back on that sin to pursue the Father instead. Last thing, repentance appeals to the mercy of God. We're just gonna look at what the son says and what he doesn't say to his dad when he comes home. Repentance appeals to the mercy of God. So this boy arose, he went to his father, and he just casts himself on the father's mercy. Notice what the boy doesn't say that we might have expected him to say. There's no apology here. He doesn't say, I'm I'm sorry. Not because it would be wrong to apologize. It's just not the needed thing. Confession is the needed thing. Notice also that there are no promises here. He doesn't say anything to his father like, I promise that I'll never do that again. Not because it would be wrong to promise that, it's just that a promise is not the needed thing. Bare confession is the needed thing. So there's no apologies, there's no promises. I think that's really instructive for us because those two things are probably what we have slid, most commonly slid into the category of repentance, that repentance means making an apology to God and making a promise to God. Like, God, I'm really sorry that I did that and I promise to never do that again, right? That's probably how we viewed repentance, most of us, for most of our lives. I'm sorry, I'll never do that again. And then, lo and behold, maybe we do. I'm just noticing with you that that's not here. Go to God barehanded with no, no apology necessary, no promise necessary. Just go with your confession. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm saying they're not in this text. And this is the paradigm that we've been given. Those things are not here. What is here? There's a confession and there's a beautiful embrace. This is the last thing that we'll notice together and we're, we're gonna be done. Um, hopefully this last thing is practical enough to be of real help to you and me because in reality, most of the time or many times when we are in need of repentance, it does involve another person. Like there's a, a relational thing going on where we've not only sinned against God, but also another person. And so now there's this third party involved. And how do we deal with them? How do we get them to believe that we're really repentant? And then are they willing to forgive us for what we've done? And what I want to point out to you and just notice in this little scene before we, before we leave it, is it it requires a tremendous amount of humility on both sides for this embrace to take place. Like on the one hand, the, the offender, the son, it requires a tremendous amount of humility for him to get to the point where he says, I have sinned, and to confess his sin just nakedly before his father. 
And then on the other hand, it requires a tremendous amount of humility from the Father to be willing to receive him back and forgive him with no promise and no guarantee that this, will, that this won't happen again. We see those dynamics in the, the Father and the Son in this parable. There's great humility on both sides. And you may be in that situation too with another person. And what we see here is that there's this beautiful, vulnerable embrace in the present. And neither one of them knows the future. They don't know that this won't happen again. They don't know if something will come between them in the future. In the moment, all they know is that neither one of them desire that. All they want to do is hold each other and be together. Who knows what the future holds? The future may hold more sin, more repentance needed, more forgiveness needed, more humility needed, maybe over the same issue. And that will be hard. But in this moment, the repentance is real. And the compassion is real. And the love is real. And so I'm saying, don't be afraid to enter into that moment with someone else, not knowing the future. And be encouraged that the same grace that brought them to this moment, to have this kind of interaction, will also rise up to meet them in the future. When it's needed. I think there's great hope that that kind of grace will be with them in the future, having gone through this moment together. And it's a beautiful thing. So take heart and take encouragement if you need this kind of restoration and are being called on to exercise this kind of humility, this kind of repentance that leads to reconciliation. And so I just want to present to you here at the end, having seen all this beauty brought about by repentance, the embrace of love, the embrace of relationship and just ask you, where is your opportunity to enter into that kind of beauty today? Yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will be beautiful. I love you. God be with you. Let's pray. Well, what a beautiful picture, Father. Thank you for painting us such a beautiful picture to make um, repentance, which is something that seems uh, foreign, maybe scary, just hard, anti-freedom, anti-fun. You've shown us how good it is, how it's the road home to grace. And so I pray that if our tastes have begun to change 
And if sin is enslaving us here in this room, that you would remind us that we are free children of God. Everyone who belongs to Christ is absolutely free. The bonds of sin are they're not in chains. The bonds have been broken, and the way home is completely open. May we rise up and go to you and experience that kind of love. In Jesus' name.